You're listening to the Domecast, where news and observer journalists take a look back and forward in North Carolina politics. Hello and welcome to Domecast. I'm Jordan Schrader, your host, and with me are Lauren Horsch, Will Doran, Danielle Shemtob, and Colin Campbell. Uh, this week we had more fallout uh, from the Florida school shooting in North Carolina politics, and, and a bunch of candidates have uh, filed for office and otherwise made their decisions known about what's happening uh, in the 2018 legislative races as some of these, uh, these races firm up. Uh, so let's start with uh, guns. First of all, we've had uh, a number of uh, rallies, marches, uh, and uh, a lot of these are with young people um, demanding gun control. So, Danielle, you were at uh, a town hall yesterday. Um, it was called a town hall uh, with um, David Price and some other politicians, but really it seemed like at center stage was, was not the activists or the the politicians, but really um, the kids, right? So um, tell us about that. Yeah, so it was, it was a very emotional night. It was a couple people who, uh, so one woman whose uh, cousin was in the Parkland shooting. He's, he survived, but was in the, the classroom, the second classroom where the shooter was shooting. And so of course, obviously went through a lot of trauma. And um, she sort of talked about just her emotions with that. And then of course, um, she was also encouraging people to get involved politically, but then and then there was also a survivor of the Virginia Tech shooting. Um, and then from, yeah, and then we heard from, I want to say, at least six or seven or even maybe even more uh, students from local high schools, even a middle school student. There are two students who are actually organizing this big march at the end of next month, March 24th, um, to coincide with the March for Our Lives in Washington. And they're organizing the march in Raleigh, and they're two high school sophomores, and they just started organizing it on Sunday. And I think the event had like 2,000 people interested on Facebook already since then. Um, so wh what are people calling for at these things? Are they just basically saying some kind of action, do something? Or is there, are they um, talking about specific ideas? Um, there are specific control? ideas thrown out, but it's still a very general conversation. It's, I mean, I think the 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 theme of the, at least in their press release, it was just kind of like to call for, you know, gun control reform. And I would say while I was there, there were definitely people talking about access to, you know, people not should not be able to access firearms um, with history of mental health. And then, um, I mean, I know David Price specifically said people shouldn't be able to access these um, semi-automatic weapons at all. Um, so there was, you know, certain things, but there weren't specific policies like suggested or put forward. Okay. Um, well, here uh, at the legislative level, we've had a uh, committee that's going to be formed to deal with school safety. Um, and Colin, uh, House Speaker Tim Moore uh, announced that he was forming this committee uh, and that it would look at a whole number of things, including possibly arming teachers, but also a whole lot of uh, things involving school safety. Um, it sounded like um, mostly he wants to stay away from some of the more divisive issues related to um, gun control. Um, so what do you expect uh, to come out of this, if anything? Yeah, so I think it sounds like this is going to focus largely on schools themselves, what can be done within the walls of a school building and on a school campus to uh, address any sort of uh, situation with uh, shooters coming in or intruders, uh, that sort of thing. 
Um, he's basically said we, we don't really want to get into the gun control debate because he thinks that's a debate for another day and is, is more divisive than what is trying to be accomplished on this committee. Um, I think some of the ideas that I'm hearing from Republican lawmakers is uh, potentially stepping up uh, the number of school resource officers that are able to carry weapons in school buildings. Um, there's apparently already a law on the books that um, allows uh, local law enforcement to essentially authorize people who are either former law enforcement or former military uh, to be able to sort of volunteer as school security type people. Um, and so there's uh, discussion of how to expand that. Uh, apparently there hasn't been a lot of that, but I've seen some interest in, uh, I believe the Rockingham County Sheriff has been talking about that this week uh, as well. Um, there's also talks about general, general safety measures, uh, locking mechanisms, how to just sort of keep people out of schools in the first place if they're not supposed to be there. Um, on the issue of arming teachers, uh, I will say, I know, listening to that uh, press conference that was made about this uh, basically 41-member committee in the House that's going to be tackling this, um, Moore was asked, you know, is, is the issue of arming teachers going to come up? Obviously, uh, Larry Pittman, a representative from uh, Concord, brought up that idea and wants the, a, a different legislative committee to address that, and they're going to hear a presentation on that in the, the coming weeks or months. Uh, Moore pretty much dodged that question, basically said, you know, nothing's necessarily on the table, nothing's really off the table. Uh, so he didn't rule out the idea of uh, arming teachers. But I will note when I was looking through that 41-member committee, which is a pretty huge committee, it's a third of the House is on that committee, the two guys who are pushing for arming teachers the strongest, Larry Pittman and Michael Speciali, are not appointed to that committee, which is sort of a subtle indication that perhaps that idea is not something that thrills leadership. Although, since we've now seen the President of the United States come out in favor of arming teachers, that could change the dynamic among Republicans as to how receptive they are to that idea. I believe, and I'll check to make sure I'm right, but I believe that um, uh, Marsha Moray was not on the committee either, and she had proposed, uh, I believe it was earlier this week, uh, basically um, having some kind of a new kind of restraining order that would apply to um, people who a judge found to be um, dangerous and um, that those people could have their guns temporarily taken away. So it did seem like maybe uh, they were staying away from some of the more controversial Yeah, so issues. I think anything that sort of comes into gun control, I mean, this is a legislature that has been uh, taking steps over the last few years since Republicans have been in charge to increase uh, or, I guess, decrease the level of restrictions on uh, guns in this state. And I'd sort of be surprised if they went in the other direction. Um, although I will note that one of the other ideas that came out of the president this week was moving the uh, age for uh, certain types of assault weapons up to from 18 to 21, which we're seeing in other states. That's been proposed here uh, by Democratic Representative Rodney Moore from the Charlotte area. Um, he says he's planning to file a bill on that uh, in the short session, and we'll see uh, if that gets any, any traction. I suspect a lot of that will depend on um, sort of what the NRA and others, uh, Republican groups' attitudes are towards um, this kind of legislation, either at the national level or in other states where it's being proposed. And we've got a few months before uh, there's a chance to file a bill here. Lauren, uh, do you think Cooper weighed in on this debate recently? Yeah, so I don't remember if he specifically said anything about what Larry Pittman had said about arming teachers, but he did come out this morning and say that he thought the idea was ridiculous and this was you know, prompted by a question about President Trump's proposal. And Cooper right now is in Washington, D.C. Um, for the National Governors Association winter meeting. Um, and he actually said that at a panel with Axios, which is kind of like a, a 
internet-only publication, I would say, focusing mostly on politics in D.C. Um, yeah, so he called the proposal to arm teachers ridiculous. He, he thinks that's ridiculous. So that's kind of the news out of that this morning. Okay. Uh, well, we should talk about candidates who have filed. Um, Lauren, do you want to uh, start us off on that? Who, who did you find notable uh, this week in, as some of these races um, kind of firm up? Oh, there's so many. Um, <laughs> well, right now there has been a lot of speculation if uh, Senator Dan Blue, who's probably the longest-serving lawmaker after Mickey Michaud, well, not after Mickey Michaud in the Senate, but he's been there for years. He's one of the longest-serving yeah, Former members. House Speaker. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, people have been speculating that he wasn't going to file because he hadn't filed yet, um, but I checked with his office. He does intend to file, mm -hmm. so we're not going to have another big retirement, you know, after... Masha and uh, Beverly Earls, so he will still be running. And there's a lot of movement in some of the wake uh, races. We do have Marilyn Avila, who is a formal, former House member who lost in the last election. Um, she's running for her old seat um, that was won by Joe John in the last election, so we'll see a rematch there. And then Linda Hunt-Williams, who is also a Wake County member, um, she announced she's not running. Uh, for re-election, so she is actually a freshman lawmaker, so she will have one term under her belt, and that will be her only term. Um. And then we're we're hearing various uh, either uh, uh, rumors or reports about people who might be considering. Um, former Senator Bob Rucho was one person who we saw yesterday. Um, some reports that he might be considering a run. Um, we've had um, the former head of Civitas, Francis DeLuca, flirting with a run, um, what have you guys heard about those uh, rumors, reports? I think I think flirting is a good term, maybe. I, I like that. Um, yeah, certainly in the case of uh, DeLuca, I don't know how serious Rucho is, but we've certainly heard from uh, multiple uh, sources that he's considering that more and written more about which district that'll be and how that would work. Yeah, that'll be in um, newly created Senate District 34, which uh, encompasses Iredell and Yadkin counties. Um, and Rucho is not from Yadkin or Iredell County. Um, he's actually from Mecklenburg County, so it'll be interesting to see, you know, if this flirting becomes an actual, you know, pursual of the seat, you know, he would have to move to either of these counties, and we have, we're under the assumption he will. We've had sources tell us that that's in the works. Yeah, as of yesterday, yeah. his uh, voter registration is still Mecklenburg mm -hmm. County, which is the district he was in before he stepped down after last term, but his old seat is now represented by uh, Senator Dan Bishop, who uh, I don't think he has any interest in challenging from what we've heard. No. Uh, so that'll be interesting to watch that play out. And, I mean, both Colin and I have had people say that Rujo is considering it, so we will see what happens. In yeah, and that'll be an interesting wait race to yeah. watch because, like I say, it's an open seat in this newly created district. Uh, there's uh, quite a few Republican candidates already running, most of them not very well-known names. The most prominent of them so far is A.J. Dowd, who is a candidate for Secretary of State. He's a former lottery commissioner, uh, fairly active in the uh, Republican Party politics around the state. Well, and he just set up a steering committee, too, which includes Steve Troxler and Mark Johnson, who are both on the Council of State. Um, and then a couple of the higher-ranking members of the Republicans in uh, the General Assembly, both on the Senate and House side. So I think he, he's really gunning for it, and there's like four or five other Republicans who are also are interested in that seat. Some of them haven't filed their paperwork, but it's going to be a very interesting race in that. And we should note that we had the story a few months back about Dowd, uh, who was currently, or at least temporarily, living in a funeral home that he owns in uh, Yadkin County in order to qualify for residency there because he'd previously lived in Surrey County. So you could have the, the top two candidates for this uh, race in Yadkin and Iredell County, people who did not live there as of like a year ago. 
and I should say that there was also um, a lawsuit filed, uh, yet another lawsuit filed in state court um, challenging wake districts, but so far um, no changes to the districts. Um, they, they all remain um, set, um, but we could see last minute changes that would shake things up. And also um, we're taping this in the morning on Friday, um, but there is this 5 p.m. deadline today to um, pull out of these races if you've already filed. And I don't know, have we seen uh, instances in the, back, in the past where people um, sort of pulled shenanigans and, uh, and pulled out of these races? Yeah, there's been, um, I can't remember the exact specifics of who did it, but in past election cycles, you've had situations where uh, an incumbent had filed to run, but then has a sort of preferred successor. And so they pull out at the last minute, which sort of prevents other people um, in their party from jumping in because uh, it comes as a surprise and then only the person that they've been uh, quietly pushing to run ends up in the race and, and may end up uncontested in a primary or a general. So we'll be watching for that. Um, Will, anybody you've noticed in the candidate filings who uh, is notable or um, who else we should talk about or should we uh, move on? Um, no, I've, I've focused most of my stuff this week on uh, looking into uh, candidates buying guns with their money. Yes, yeah, so this is my next question for you. Okay, well, <laughs> we'll go ahead and move on to the exciting stuff then. So, um, so yeah, you've been looking at campaign reports, and uh, you found some interesting spending, and um, some of it we may have to talk about later, but uh, this week uh, you wrote a story saying that two candidates had used campaign money last year to buy guns. So um, how is that legal? And um, why are they doing that? Right. Well, you know, we, we started this because obviously the conversation nationally has been on, you know, the, the NRA and the gun industry, uh, you know, pouring money into politicians' campaign funds. Um, but I was curious to see if it kind of worked the other way. And, you know, candidates using their donors' money on buying guns or supporting the NRA. And sure enough, it happens. Um, yeah, we found uh, two people in uh, 2017 in the state legislature who used their campaigns uh, to buy weapons. Uh, Senator Trudy Wade of Greensboro, a Republican there, um, she bought a uh, $2,200 Browning shotgun, um, and she then uh, raffled it off at a different fundraiser. Um, you know, you got to spend money to make money, as they say. Um, and That's that, a lot of money to spend to make money. Yeah, that is, I mean, $2,200, that is a very, very nice shotgun. Uh, you know, I, I don't know how this raffle fundraiser went for her campaign, but I would imagine something like that probably, you know, drew a lot of people. Uh, tickets were only $100, so, you know, spend $100, get a shot at, you know, winning this super high-end luxury model. Um, Who needs a state lottery when you've got uh, great gun raffles like that? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And, you know, this is the sort of thing that, you know, you see every once in a while in politics. You know, uh, local sheriffs will do this. Legislators do this. They raffle off shotguns, rifles, things like that. There was uh, a sheriff raffling off an AR-15, right? I think we saw yeah, that in the some, news. Yeah, somewhere, uh, I think. Mecklenburg? Yeah, Mecklenburg. It? And I think it was the, the news story was this was the sheriff who's done this fundraiser in the past, but in the wake of the Florida shooting, uh, he's discontinuing that as a, a fundraising thing because he feels like it's it's no longer appropriate for him as a law enforcement guy to be handing out guns. Right. So the, there was no legal question uh, with Senator Wade and the shotgun for the raffle. You can definitely use your campaign money to buy stuff that you raffle off as a fundraiser. That's totally fine. Uh, the thing that was a little bit more in a gray area uh, was Representative Larry Yarborough of Roxborough, who bought a pistol for personal use. 
Um, and campaign finance law says that, you know, you can really only spend your donor's money on stuff that's either related to, you know, you holding office or you running for office. Um, so I saw that he had spent, you know, I think it was around $450 on, uh, you know, a, a, a gun from this gun store. So got in touch with him and, you know, asked him what that was all about. And he said it actually was for political purposes. He said that uh, before he ran for office, uh, he never knew of anyone who didn't like him. And after he ran for office, he, uh, you know, learned that that wasn't necessarily the case. Uh, and he had this one particularly scary incident, uh, which he said he was uh, in some neighborhood, I presume, you know, knocking on doors like all politicians do. Um, and this very large man approached him and proceeded to tell him, you know, that he had very negative feelings about him. And uh, he said he was pretty intimidated in, and he, uh, he hightailed it out of there and went and bought this pistol and uh, wants to use it for, you know, personal protection. He says he carries it, you know, on official business all the time, pretty much. Obviously, you can't carry in the General Assembly. Should not give anyone the impression that, uh, that he's bringing weapons into the General Assembly or that anyone else can do that. Uh, you cannot carry there, uh, but he said basically everywhere else, whenever he is the representative, uh, he's carrying because uh, he's he's worried that, you know, in this political climate we're in, uh, that he might need to use it someday. And you found out about what he would have to do if he ever um, stopped running for office or lost. Right. So, yeah, I, I called up the, the Board of Elections and Ethics Enforcement to ask, you know, hey, is this cool <laughs> you know are, are politicians allowed to buy guns using their campaign money and they said well you know it basically in this circumstance that he described in which it was a campaign related purchase sure but should note that he doesn't own the gun the campaign owns the gun so if he decides not to you know run for office again or if he starts a different campaign committee uh he couldn't keep the gun he'd either have to buy it from the campaign or he'd have to donate it to a, another politician's campaign um, or the campaign could sell it to somebody else and, you know, donate the money or use it to pay off debts or something like that. Um, so, you know, he'll have to, you know, be careful in the future if he ever, you know, decides to step out of public life that uh, he he does the proper thing with the gun and doesn't just take it because then he would be running afoul of the law. Um, so, a, um, so a campaign gun purchase like that is, is pretty rare, if not unique, from what you found. But what was more common was buying... NRA memberships with campaign money. Yeah, yeah. I couldn't find anyone else who had ever bought a gun for personal use. Um, now, that being said, the the campaign finance system is very difficult to search. There's not a whole lot of transparency there. It's, it is searchable, but it's not easy. Um, so maybe, you know, if any of our listeners know of anyone else who's purchased a gun using their uh, campaign money, please let us know. And there are varying levels of, of disclosure. I mean, I, even this well, entry, I don't even think said, um, you know, bought a gun. It said, like, Correct. personal protection purchase at a gun shop. So it's pretty clear. But others might be more vague or, um, you know, not really say at all what they bought, you know, miscellaneous purchases. Right. Or whatever. But it's easier to find people uh, who have uh, paid uh, membership dues using their cam campaign money for the NRA. I found about probably 10 or 12 people since around 2010 who had done that. Um, one Democrat, the rest were Republicans, um, and that's also a gray area with uh, membership dues. Uh, it would 
it would probably be illegal if a politician used their campaign money to buy a membership in like a country club or something like that because you know you can't really argue that that is a uh, you know a political uh, you know there's no political reason for that you just want to go golfing um, but if you can argue that something is you know you'd only be doing this because of politics then that is okay um, so it is kind of an interesting argument that I guess some of these Republicans are implicitly making by using their campaign funds to pay for these NRA memberships. They're essentially saying that they wouldn't have been NRA members without either holding or running for office. I, you know, I suppose maybe they have other, uh, other reasons for it, but that, that seems to be kind of the implicit argument that they'd have to make for this to be legal. Yeah, and or I don't know, I guess, I don't know if it would be possible for someone to have a personal NRA membership and then also buy a campaign NRA membership. Or that could be I possible. I don't know if that works um, that way or not. But. Yeah, what uh, uh, U.S. Representative Mark Walker from Greensboro uh, said that his campaign spent around $200 buying an NRA membership uh, just to make sure that the campaign would be kept up to date on, you know, rallies in North Carolina and Second Amendment news and things like that. Um, but you see some other people, uh, Tom Tillis has used funds for that, uh, Virginia Fox has used funds for that, um, several uh, uh, current state legislators, including Sarah Stevens, uh, who's one of the top Republicans in the House, has bought NRA memberships. Um, and it's, you know, they vary in price from, you know, maybe Twenty-five or fifty dollars to a couple hundred dollars, depending on what level of membership you want to buy. Okay. Uh, Colin, one last thing before we do headliner of the week is that there were some more developments in the um, ongoing saga over the pipeline fund and Cooper uh, fighting with lawmakers uh, about it and what it would have been used for before lawmakers essentially uh, seized it uh, to pay for uh, schools in eastern North Carolina where the pipeline is going to run. Um, so uh, they've been firing letters back and forth. Um, where do where does this stand at this point? Yeah. So the uh, latest developments on that was we had this um, sort of epistolary war of words, as I termed it, uh, oh, I between like the uh, uh, two Republicans in the legislature, the two House or the two uh, Rules Chairman uh, Bill Rabin and David Lewis, uh, basically asking a series of questions about how this pipeline mitigation fund. Uh, came about and who negotiated it and whether there were any ethical concerns about it on the governor's side. Uh, the governor's office initially responded, uh, didn't quite answer all the questions, so the legislators came, legislators sent another letter sort of restating some of their questions and adding some additional follow-up questions. Uh, on Monday, we got a response from, or they got a response from uh, Christy Jones, uh, Cooper's chief of staff, basically saying that she believes their questions are moot because of the uh, legislation that redirects that money to uh, schools along the pipeline route, uh, that they were, the questions were quote, political in nature. So she's basically refusing to answer any further questions from them. Uh, so the following day, we got a statement from uh, legislative leaders saying that they were going to do essentially whatever it takes to, to get those questions answered. And then at the bottom of the press release, noting the subpoena powers of the legislature. So I think what you're going to see I don't know if it'll be in the next couple of weeks or in the next couple of months or if they'll wait until the legislature comes back, uh, but I think you'll see a subpoena from some legislative committee uh, to members of the governor's administration. Basically, the way uh, the legislature's subpoena power works, um, a legislative committee can vote to issue a subpoena to someone either for them to come testify in person or for them to produce certain uh, documents, records, public or not. Um, and if the majority of the committee votes to do it, um, and then the uh, leader of the chamber, either the House Speaker or the Senate leader, uh, sign off on it, then the subpoena is issued. And it's 
just as binding as when a judge issues a subpoena. Um, so they basically pretty much have to come, and there's been instances in the past of uh, that happening, but most recently for Cooper's cabinet nominees when that uh, confirmation process was going on in the Senate. So uh, I think that's where that battle is headed next. Uh, the, the thing I'm real curious about is uh, whether they'll be uh, issuing a subpoena to members of Cooper's staff, the folks who actually negotiated the agreement, or whether they might just go for broke and try to get Cooper himself into the room, which would make for some fascinating political theater. All right. Okay. Well, let's take a break and come back with Headliner of the Week. Stay with us. I'm a retired school psychologist, and helping people was my thing. After my stroke, when Meals on Wheels started, I was on the other end of the stick, so to speak. My name is Julius Gaines, creative writer, poet, photographer. One in six seniors faces the threat of hunger, and millions more live in isolation. Drop off a hot meal and say a quick hello. Volunteer for Meals on Wheels by donating your lunch break at americaletsdolunch.org. This message brought to you by Meals on Wheels America and the Ad Council. Headliner of the week, 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 headliner of the week. Who's hot? And welcome back to Domecast. Now it's time for headliner of the week, and we'll pick the most important person in this week's news. Uh, Colin Campbell, why don't you go first? Who's your headliner of the week? I am picking a candidate for Senate who uh, was in the news for interesting reasons this week, uh, Clark Twitty, who's running for the open seat in the northeastern corner of the state. Uh, this is a seat currently held by Republican Senator Bill Cook, who is not running for re-election, uh, largely, I think, as a result of redistricting. Um, he's in a pretty heated primary battle. Uh, Twitty is sort of a political newcomer. He's a real estate agent out on the Outer Banks. Um, and he's running against uh, State Representative Bob Steinberg of Chowan County, another Republican. Um, and they are in what I think is going to be a pretty fierce fight uh, for that GOP primary uh, with some uh, interesting alliances being formed this week. Uh, Twitty held a fundraiser on Thursday uh, with uh, some interesting special guests, including Senate Majority Leader Harry Brown, uh, Bill Cook, who currently holds the seat, the Senate Rules Chairman Bill Rabin, uh, Representative Beverly Boswell, the House uh, Republican from that area, and a couple of others um, essentially aligning themselves with Twitty over Steinberg, a, a legislative colleague. Um, I, I talked to Steinberg about that this week, and he was none too pleased. Uh, he feels like the uh, leadership in the Senate should sort of stay out of it uh, and let the Republican voters uh, in that district decide uh, who they want as their uh, state senator. And he also uh, took some jabs. I think he's, uh, he believes that uh, Harry Brown's opposition to him is over their disagreements over renewable energy. Obviously, there was the uh, wind power ban that uh, major, mainly affected uh, counties in, in that corner of the state. Um, and then he also made some claims about uh, Bill Cook that uh, Bill Cook had refused to hire his legislative assistant if he gets Bill Cook's seat, uh, and that was the reason Cook was uh, opposed to him. Cook uh, pushed back pretty strongly on that statement and sent me a fairly lengthy uh, comment about why he thinks uh, Twitty's the best candidate for this and that it doesn't involve his uh, legislative assistant's uh, future career. Uh, but that's going to be, a, I think, an interesting of the, the primary races to watch, just to see the sort of infighting among Republicans as to uh, who's going to get that uh, Senate seat in the northeastern corner. Okay. All right, that is very interesting. So Clark Twitty uh, trying to uh, uh, trying to win Bill Cook's old seat and uh, in a primary challenge uh, with Steinberg. Okay, Clark Twitty in the hat for headliner of the week. Danielle Shemtab, who's your headliner of the week? All right, so I'm going to have to toot my own, own horn for just a little horn bit. Horn tooting is, is totally acceptable here on <laughs> headliner of the week. The Daily Tar Heel is going to be my headliner of the week because um, 
it is turning 125 years old this weekend and there's a huge anniversary event i believe there's i think 250 people rsvp just to the gala dinner um, and then there's obviously a bunch of panels and discussions with editors here at the News and Observer, um, panelists like Emily Steele, who reported on the Bill O'Reilly scandal earlier. She's the New York Times. She's a UNC alumni. So um, I think that, you know, the fact that they've been able to endure the challenges of journal journalism for 125 years and the past couple of years have definitely been difficult financially, but they've still, you know, done great work. And so I'm picking them as my headliner of the week because student journalism is very important and going to keep chugging along even though we face you know the challenges of the digital world very very important okay the daily tar heel uh 125th birthday in the hat for headliner of the week uh will doran who's your headliner of the week um well billy graham uh he's been the really the national headliner of the week uh, ever since he passed away on tuesday uh at his montreat home age 99 he's probably the most famous preacher uh, in America, you know, other than, you know, maybe Martin Luther King, um, and, you know, they actually, uh, you know, their paths crossed a little bit, um, you know, Billy Graham was, uh, uh, you know, noted for some of his, uh, you know, progressive, uh, views during the civil rights movement, um, and he's been, you know, just feted by everybody all over the place. His his uh, funeral is going to be in Charlotte on uh, March 2nd, I believe, and uh, we've been hearing from our partners at the Charlotte Observer that it's possible that every past living president might attend. Uh, they all considered him a friend and an, an advisor. Uh, obviously, uh, President Donald Trump might also attend. Uh, Billy Graham's son, Franklin Graham, was a big, big supporter of Trump's during the presidential campaign, um, and it's just been a... Uh, uh, a huge news story uh, here in North Carolina in our backyard. Uh, obviously, a lot of people who grew up here in North Carolina grew up watching him on TV or listening to him on the radio. And uh, yeah, there's a, I, I wrote a story yesterday. There's a, going to be a book in the state capitol uh, that people can go sign if they want to leave a little note of remembrance that uh, uh, is going to be open also until March 2nd. And then uh, Governor Cooper is going to go give it to the Graham family after that. So if uh, if you have good feelings about Billy Graham and you're around Raleigh for the next week go sign the book okay all right Billy Graham uh, the big news this week uh, his death at 99 uh, Lauren Horsch who's your headliner of the week um, I'm gonna have to go with uh, House Speaker Tim Moore uh, Bert, we've heard a lot about him this week um, but I think he's really been out in front of the school safety conversation here in North Carolina I mean we had within days of the Florida shooting I think at the prompting of a question from WRAL, he announced that he was going to, you know, create this House Select Committee on School Safety, um, and I, it is a big committee. There were a lot of people who wanted to be on it, um, so I think he's doing his best to kind of figure out what will work for North Carolina to prevent tragedies like the Parkland shooting from happening happening in North Carolina. So I think Tim Moore's going to be in the headliner of the week there. Okay. House Speaker Tim Moore in the hat for Headliner of the Week, along with Clark Twitty, uh, Billy Graham, and the Daily Tar Heel. Uh, well, very fond of uh, college media, um, so very tempted to do Daily Tar Heel, but I think I have to do Billy Graham. Um, huge, huge uh, uh, loss for North Carolina. And, you know, um, Rob Christensen's column this week uh, explored some of the ways that uh, Graham has um, touched politics both nationally and in 
uh, in North Carolina. A lot of people know that he was uh, close with, uh, with Richard Nixon, uh, and, and uh, Rob wrote a little bit about how some of that played out in North Carolina. Um, he sort of he came out and, and he, while he would say that he never, he didn't want to get involved in partisan politics, he came out during, uh, I think, the 1968 race and, and essentially hinted that he was, he said, I'm splitting my ticket and I'm not telling you how, but everybody knew he was uh, a Nixon supporter and then uh, uh, he was basically telegraphing to people that he also supported Bob Scott, I think it was, who was the Democratic candidate at the time. Um, and um, so throughout you know, the decades, he's been uh, influential in some of these races in, in North Carolina. And there was even a story, you should read Rob's column, there's even a story at the end of it about how um, Jesse Helms uh, had an ad that was never published related to Billy Graham. Um, so go read that. Um, but yes, if you uh, want to uh, leave your condolences for Graham's family, you can go down to the Capitol Rotunda and I think in, under the statue of George Washington is the, uh, is the condolences book. So Billy Graham is our headliner of the week and Will wins this week. Uh, and that's it for Domecast. Uh, for Lauren Horsch, Will Doran, Daniel Shimtob, and Colin Campbell, I'm Jordan Schrader. Catch us again next week on Domecast. You've been listening to the Domecast, a production of the News and Observer and the Insider State Government News Service. You can keep up with the conversation by reading Under the Dome in the Daily Print Edition or online at newsobserver.com. The Insider is found online at ncinsider.com.